Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone. Welcome to this week's CISO talk. I have a very special episode coming up. In fact, it's almost nostalgic to me with who my next guest is. My next guest is someone who showed up on this podcast before it was called CISO Talk, and it was called the Cyber Hub Engage podcast. We did it in person. We did it in an office. We weren't even virtual. And it was, I think, guest number six or seven on the program. Today, he comes back. He's in a newer, greater, upgraded role. He's an unbelievable base of knowledge for today's show, so you're going to want to stay tuned for it. But before I do that, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast right now. If you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. Turn on the subscribe bell. Tune in. The Cyber Hub Podcast, which is our other show, has daily content. So if you have not subscribed to the Cyber Hub Podcast, please make sure to do so right now. Daily content, our 10 to 15-minute practitioner brief. Every single day, Monday through Thursday, we're live on Fridays at 11 a.m. on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, Twitch, and Reddit. You name it, you can catch us there. And now, without further ado, let's bring in my very, very special guest, Nostalgic in Nature. It's CISO Talk time, folks. Here we go. From the Cyber Hub Bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales. How we doing? No bullshit. Just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. David Nolan, welcome to the show, buddy. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Um, Seems like it's been forever. It it has been forever. Um, David Nolan, the CISO over at Aaron's. Welcome to back to the program. Um, it's been one of those days, right? Like I'm clicking and I'm like, why isn't the music starting? And I'm clicking in the wrong button, right? It's been one of those days. So <laughs> we'll just take that with a grain of salt. Welcome to the show, good sir. Thank you. Tell, you know, you were on the show before I had a style, before I had all, you know, you just kind of came on and First time I had you on, I think we, we, I don't think I know we talked about, you know, getting started in cyber, kind of breaking into security and, and you talked about your infamous spam filters on your email. And so we'll, 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 we'll for people, we're not going to talk about those things today, folks. If you want to, I'll link the other episode right here below. Go check it out. Listen to it after this one. I guarantee you it's a gem. But David, for the audience who's tuning in for the first time, 
give them a little bit of background on how you got started in security, if you don't mind. Oh, man, it depends on how far you want to go back. I mean, I've, I've been a nerd my whole life. Uh, <laughs> started all the way back in high school working uh, in corporate IT. So, you know, er- early career was always a developer, loved creating things and building that type of thing. Uh, mainly worked for Fortune 100s government, that type of deal. Um, but, but like um, many young people, also like breaking things and taking stuff apart. So um, early on in my career at Caterpillar, really where I started to get involved in security, um, I was a developer, um, was interested in security and how you could break things. They were really looking to grow their uh, application security program at the time in their organization. So I was asked and, and given the privilege of, of that challenge. And that really started the, uh, the, the journey that I've had through security. And of course, now that I'm at Aaron's, it was really brought in to, to grow and modernize uh, the information security program and um, really excited at all the, the things we've been able to achieve and the team's been able to achieve. And uh, it's kind of kind of where we uh, where we leave today, right? You really matured into your role, right? I mean, you were um, you know the previous CISO, good friend of ours, Elmir, right? You were you were kind of you weren't kind of you were his right hand man. You guys were you know thing one and thing two at every single event we ever went to, um, <laughs> you know, and 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 now you've kind of uh, blossomed and you've taken that role. Um, talk a little bit about that career progression, because I think a lot of people that listen to the show always wonder, um, what's it like to be groomed to become a CISO? What was that like for you? And, and, and actually going from, you know, uh, you know, being a senior vice president to being the chief, being the head honcho, what, what, what was that like for you? Yeah. And I, I don't think you ever think about it when you're in it. I mean, um, it's, it's always just focusing on the, the goals at hand and trying to do the best you can, trying to grow your team and, uh, and empower them and excite them for the vision. And, you know, you kinda, it's easier to look at it in the rearview mirror and say, oh, yeah, that was a, that was a great journey. But while you're in it, you're just, you know, having fun. And um, honestly, I just I just have so much fun day to day. And it's it's great to, to, to be a part of it. You know, the tech team always had errands like for for the local Atlanta crowd. You guys were always like the coolest kids in class. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, whether it was you or John, who's, who's no longer there or Elmir, you guys are always like the coolest kids in class. So it's, it's, it's so great to see you and it's so great to see your hard work pay off for you to get that role. Like as someone who's been watching it from the side for the last four years, like I got to tell you, man, it's, it's, it's very fulfilling to see your hard work pay off and to see good people succeed. And I, and, and, and I think that's a, that's a good message to deliver as we start off the show um, people will say I'm a fanboy, but I think it's a part of it is, um, you want hard work to pay off, right? Cause we tell people who want to break into security all the time, work hard, put your head down, get the work done. You'll get there. You did just that. And you led and, and yeah, unbelievable. Great, great work. So now that you're sitting in that CISO, your, 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 your secure, your business card, those still exist. I don't know. <laughs> Does this card still exist post COVID? Has anyone gotten a business card in the last eighteen months? Yeah, I don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> Talk a little bit about some of the skills you look for as you're now, you know, building a team, and what are some of the intangibles that that really stand out for you during the interview process? Yeah, I well, shameless plug for the first podcast that we we did together because um, right. we talked a lot about um, hiring for cybersecurity, and I think a lot of those tenets still stay the same of just where to look for um, your, your talent and how to get creative and not look for, you know, your typical um, uh, 
security engineer. So, um, you know, my, my goal when I hire is to look for the right person, not the right resume. What I mean by that is I don't focus on kind of that traditional security expert, right? I'm not looking for a specific amount of years using a specific amount of, uh, or specific tools, those types of things. I'm more looking for someone that shows that initiative that we talked about that can keep their head down, that is creative and innovative. Um, and really the, the initiative I think is probably the table stake, right? Um, it's something I always look for, regardless of the role that I'm, I'm uh, hiring for. Always looking for those people that are just hungry, wanting to find problems, solve problems, uh, and build cool stuff, right? Um, and ultimately to meet that, I think, um, and this is something you know we talk about a lot at Aaron's, but um, really looking for builders at heart, looking for people who are willing to get their hands dirty to solve problems, um, and not just you know security, identify problems and pass it on to somebody else. That's not really the, the culture that we have. Um, and I think the um, the other thing is uh, if if we are if I am finding people that are coming from industry security, you know, many years of that, um, really looking for those with a willingness to work with the business uh, to find that right balance in security, and you know, potentially if needed, the willingness to change, learn, and function as a risk advisor uh, instead of the kind of old school way of doing security from when we all started. You know, it's um it's interesting to see how that's evolved, but that kind of evolved you in leadership as well, right? How, what skills do you think it requires for you today to really do your job effectively and excel in it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I would say it, it starts with just passion to develop people first, uh, kind of be that servant leader, right? Uh, if you can build highly effective teams, highly engaged teams, um, it really gives you the ability to step back and not have to deal with the day-to-day -day and the, 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 the details as much. Um, so, you know, especially now with the market being hot, retention being a challenge for a lot of companies, you know, just pouring yourself into making your teams the best them that's possible is really the key to success uh, in your overall program, I think. Um, I think part of that um, and kind of the, 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 the key uh, skills, as you say, is, is that willingness to listen first. Um, one of my uh, uh, favorite uh, mentors, uh, Jamie Engstrom, she's actually the CIO at uh, Caterpillar now. Um, she always talked about um, not necessarily being the smartest person in the world in the room, but it's all about leading um, and asking the right questions to solicit the right uh, feedback at the table. So being able to listen first and not just injecting your way of approaching a scenario. Um, and really as leaders, we need to be open to new and innovative ideas, technologies to old challenges, right? Um, we need to be willing to challenge ourselves and our teams um, to challenge the status quo. Uh, that we're all used to. Just because it's on a metric quadrant doesn't mean it's the right thing to solve your specific right. problem uh, in your business. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those. Um, I think we have a challenge, and and the, the more innovative leaders out there uh, in our space are are looking to solve problems, not necessarily to uh, to buy tools. Um, my personal example, you know, talking about not just bringing uh, my ideas and forcing them on the teams is. Um, uh, Previously, you know, background development, building application security programs, it was very easy for me when we started um, building one to to say, this is how I did it. And this is the right way. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it was one of those things I, I, I took Jamie's advice, took a step back, listened, you know, was the devil's advocate, if you will, um, and, and really gave the teams room to innovate and come up with their own ways, the best uh, for the business. And really it led to a highly innovative award winning program that 
I could have never uh, driven the team force, <laughs> forcibly to if I was, uh, you know, kind of kind of leading more uh, more aggressively. So um, I think that's really key is just um, listening, giving the teams room to breathe and uh, room to succeed, really. Yeah, that's that's kind of taking that step back and really just rather than, you know, it used to be that a manager would tell you what to do. Right. And the leader kind of leads you on what to do, right? So it's getting the people around the table. It's getting all of them to brainstorm. It's building that roadmap together, right? It's, it's almost like you're a facilitator rather than a, the decision maker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I got asked a few weeks ago by a new, uh, new employee, man, you sure ask a lot of questions. And it's like, yep, that's, that's really the goal, right? Is, <laughs> is to get you thinking about um, things you may not thought about and, and really uh, uh, making sure you're not I get the scotoma and, and blocking out the obvious stuff uh, that sometimes when we get deep into projects and solutions, we miss. So, You know, CISO's the role of a CISO, 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 whatever people want to call it. It's really becoming an enterprise type of role. And that's really bringing about a new set of skills that, you know, are, are needed. What, what do you think those skills are right now? Yeah, so it's it's great you brought that up because I've I always uh, mentioned that with with security, you know, we have our hands or in a lot of things and we're we're briefed on a lot of stuff and it's not just you know technology uh, type projects. Um, so so we're we're kind of a person that's in the know knows the beat of the street, right? So um, we're definitely um, at least if we want to be a, a successful um, security leader or just leader at a company, we're, we're able to bridge a lot of a uh, lot of uh, different groups uh, and bring people together. So um, I, I think just being an overall enterprise wide leader really starts with being uh, a trusted risk advisor. So not just being, you know, the security person that says what you can and can't do, but but really partnering with the business and various business leaders to talk about the risk of the decisions we're making, talk about the risk of the um, technologies we're bringing in, the vendors we're bringing in, all the different stuff that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, if you can really foster that, it leads to you being seen as less of a security person and more of a critical strategic thinker that helps them work through uh, their decisions um, and a problem solver. And what I found is that it's very broadly applicable in whatever role, whatever discussion you're in throughout the business, right? So really that that key that key skill that leads into that is being able to talk in business terms. Um, and we we as security individuals, as security leaders need to do it on a day-to-day basis. We're taking those risk cons or those risk discussions, those highly technical concepts, and our goal and our our um, uh, really target is to put them in very clear, very easily understandable business terms. And that's universally acceptable uh, uh, across the enterprise. And really, to me, the the key skill that you're you're talking about or asking about to becoming that enterprise-wide leader. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like everything you just said is so on point, David. It's what every CISO needs to focus on is don't go and get another security cert. Go take a business class somewhere, right? Um, Belong to some business networking groups and not just security ones. Step outside of your comfort zone and your circle. Start to see what people really care about. And I think that's how you excel brilliantly said. I couldn't ask you to, you know, you couldn't have said it any better. Let's talk a little bit about cyber, right? Because that's what we're here for. That's that's really what the show is all about. Where are you spending the most time on security and why? Oh, 
uh, everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my cop-out answer, but um, no, the, I, I think there's kind of two, two ways of doing that. And one we just talked about, but there's that whole strategic thinking piece of where we're spending our time and then what are we actually doing like day to day. Right. So, you know, strategically um, I'm thinking a lot about like, validating the efficacy of our controls. Um, and you, you look at just, just the news and, you know, everybody's getting hit or, or popped in one way or another, whether it's public or not. So like, and everybody has some level of security maturity that is generally defensible, right? So it really comes down to, okay, everybody's got the the, the traditional, you know, compliance uh, required based security, but what, do, what, do, what can we get better at? Um, so I'm constantly thinking about like, does the stuff that we have in play um, work as we intend it to. And better yet, does the controls that we have um, or the controls we may not yet have considered um, exist due to new risks? So tons of new new cyber attacks out there, tons of new ways, uh, you know, SolarWinds and all these other things that are Bayer's quotes, new ways of approaching these. Um, and are we thinking about those? But how do we know if we're going to think about those, right? And, and how do we do that? So with you know, cyber criminals constantly evolving. We need to really obsess over not resting on our laurels. And, you know, I've, I've seen some folks do that where it's like, oh, we've got X, we're good. It's like, yeah, but X is not always as effective uh, with these new attack uh, ways. And more importantly, like things like attacks uh, methods, like living off the land and things like that can very often, you know, use your own systems against you. So how would you detect that and how you think about that? So, I mean, there's no answer to any of that stuff, right? Because it's constantly evolving. But I'm always thinking of that strategically um, as, as in that traditional security role. But I think the more practical answer is like, what am I actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Uh, it, when I'm thinking, and it, and it goes back to that, that working with the business, right? So um, I think where I advise a lot of people and where people see or other leaders see um, buy and fail is working with the business, right? If you can't articulate risk to the business, if you can't make it visible, then then they really don't care uh, as much about security, right? Or at least they don't deeply care uh, to be able to, to to prioritize it, to invest in it, et cetera. So um, one of my big goals is to always be working with other leaders to make that risk visible to being that trusted advisor I mentioned. And, and really, I think that's a key role of security these days is uh, to be that advisor, um, to provide the visibility and really to make the business um, uh, allow them to make more complete and more informed decisions as they go through their days as well. So let's talk a little bit about that trusted. Um, we've got a check. Oh, we've got an echo here somewhere. Folks, give me just a moment. We are now good. Check, 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 check. There we go. We are good. All right. So let me ask you this, David. You talked about being the trusted advisor, and 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 you know, in, in the last two questions, we didn't really talk cyber. We've been talking about being kind of more part of the business and an integrated part of the business. Well, security is critical to all of that, right? Security is critical to the, that part of the business. Um, but as you look at kind of the development of the role of the CISO, right, and kind of where the role is really going, the last eighteen months have really transformed the role of the CISO um, because it no longer came about availability. It became so much more about than just availability. It became about uh, access to information, integrity. Uh, <laughs> um, I can give you a whole slew of things. 
Right. When you look at the evolution over the last 18 months and where sisters are spending more of your, their time now, do you think that, that that shift is directly tied to the new kind of hybrid work reality? Or do you feel like the shift was about to happen and this probably boosted it? Um, I think it more boosted it because I'm just going from personal experience. You know, that was one thing I strive for um, early on when I've um, one of the reasons why I joined Aaron's is to to kind of look at security differently, right? More from a, a lens of, of a business partner. Um, the, the the simple way I've, I've reasoned that is you, you can say that our job is to protect the company. And at the end of the day, it is, right? It's table stakes. But like, if you don't understand where data is being used, how it's being used, what projects are going on, how they affect the business and all those elements, then you're not able to be as an effective of a protector of the company as possible. So that's why when I say trusted risk advisor, it, it it's getting out there, it's making those relationships. And and by nature, you get so much buy-in, so many, so many people being as passionate as you. Um, you can you can take a step step back from from a lot of things. And honestly, the the technology teams a lot, in my experience, are the ones who want to drive security just as much if they understand the mission. Um, so I, I really think back to your your question i think we're we've already been on the journey it's just kind of poked its head up a little bit over time um and now that we're remote and everybody is having to you know experience the same technical challenges and things like that um it's it's really brought us to the forefront of just just how differently we have to run things yeah but in a good way right like if, if you look at what we've done in the in the last 18 months uh, we've really i don't want to say improved our security but we've really matured our security, right? I mean, if you were a sister who was vying for a spot, you got the spot. And if you didn't squander it, you're 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 in a great position today. And 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 I think that's really critical to kind of understand um, as we kind of look at that. You know, let's talk a little bit about you know security projects. And and there's there's a very interesting thing about you know, security projects we all work on. In the show, I always make it a point to never talk about what we do from a security perspective because I know that just like I've got 10,000 great people listening, I've got 2,000 that aren't so great that would <laughs> love to get their hands on this little bit of information. So very generally, as we talk a little bit about, you know, security projects you enjoyed working on and some of those things, um, uh, you know, what's kind of stands out for you as a security project? I mean, I just have so much fun on this stuff. There's just so many of them. Uh, of course, there's probably, you know, two or three of them that, that really have, have highlighted in my career. And they all go back to ones that are just super innovative uh, and and have allowed me and allowed uh, the teams I work with and and uh, to help succeed, to be able to, to share those approaches with other companies. Like the, the, the highlight of my career, uh, I can remember it a, a few years ago when I was at a conference and all these, you know, Everybody knows the names in Atlanta, these these uh, big CISOs at you know, Fortune 100 companies and stuff who, um, who we all have, uh, look to a lot of times. Um, we were presenting on on some some projects that we had, you know, call them award winning, uh, if you will. Um, and afterward, I had uh, two Fortune 50 CISOs and one Fortune 100 come up to me afterwards and say, can our teams work together? We this This is exactly what we've been struggling with. We love the way you've done this, the innovation you've approached. And I'm just like, beside myself, you know, of saying like, <laughs> that is success. That is success for the teams right there. And, you know, it's, it, it's the, the proud Papa moment of, of going to the teams and saying, you know, you know, everybody, this is, 
look how well well you've done and look look how great it is so um but a lot of those are like heavy integration heavy automation um you know, some areas to to be general like appsec huge innovation things in appsec um you know full privacy automation and cloud security things like that but it all really comes back to teams collaborating across all technology organizations um you know integrating those native um sometimes off the shelf technologies and building new things that uh, didn't exist. You know, we're uh, a very early adopter type company that that uh, is highly innovative, and that requires security to do the same, right? And so you, you don't always have the the technologies uh, exist. You don't always have the logos uh, on the the sheet from your VARs that that you can get. So um, we've been forced to innovate, and uh, those are the ones that are most fun because you're you're in some cases doing things that no company has ever done that. You know, a year or two later, like we're seeing it now, some of the, some of the stuff we built a few years ago, some of the the vendors are just now starting to market and create it as an actual software service package, and that's just so cool to to uh, uh, have have gone down that path uh, as uh, as they are or before they are in a lot of cases, and uh, it's, just, it's just so satisfying and so much fun to 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 be a part of that and help those those teams succeed. So that brings up a really excellent point, right? Which is the collaboration between different security teams in different organizations. And when you and I go and talk to our threat intel teams and we get an update, right? We go, hey, what are you guys monitoring? What do we need to be looking at? What are some of the developments we should be paying attention to? How do those developments impact potentially our roadmap, the vulnerabilities that exist, our patching timeline? You know, there's a lot of different questions that go on if you, if you operate a good threat intel team. You talked about the recognition from other CISOs who come up to you and, and you know, we, we here in Atlanta, we roam in the same circles. And I can only imagine, you know, the, the kind of, you know, when you get that positive feedback from some of these guys who are, you know, what we call Alzheimer's, but also kind of like, you know, the godfathers of cyber here, it's, 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 it's very satisfying. But talk a little bit about those teams working together and kind of that culture, right, of we need to work more together because our adversaries do the same exact thing and we're so fragmented. It's, you know, that fragmentation is really one of our, one of the things that kills us. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's core to the culture. Um, I, I think I, I'm, I'm thinking back to when, when I started, you know, that was one of the the first slides I had with the, the, the team was, um, you know, uh, partner. Right. And we kept talking about partnering and stuff because as I'd seen it in the past and I'm, I'm sure we all have like, we don't want to be security and, you know, we, we don't want to be off in the corner doing our thing and finding problems uh, and not bringing solutions or not partnering with solutions. So I think it's critical if you, you have to, you have to start with the culture. And and I often speak on um, don't try to change your culture, try to change your approach and security and, and you as a leader or even your teams need to really understand what is the culture of your company. Don't try to change it. It's a great thing. Of, of why your culture, but work within those bounds, uh, work with those other teams to really get security adoption as, uh, as, as part of that. So making those partnerships. Um, yeah, I've it t- joked with my team once, you don't have to be working on security stuff 100% of the time. We're helping the business and that's building partnerships, you know, to, to when we get a security thing and we could say, hey, I need your help on this. And a non-security person wants to help with security. It goes both ways, right? So building those partnerships, I've seen makes it so much better for adoption for 
um, you know, even even the classic like CIO versus CISO thing, like um, we had a, a past history um, was was talking to somebody externally was like we're talking about the great partnerships uh, that we've had um, across these technology and security organizations and um, keep the names out. Someone someone had said, like, well, tell me how the relationship really is between the CIO and security, because we all know they want to do other things besides do security. And I'm like. It's part of the conversation. Like, I'm just trying to like convince this individual that that's the reality of it. Um, and, and to me, it's just so great to be a part of that. It's a two way street, of course, but um, being able to partner with technology leaders, being able to to have the discussions on what priority is, and and help them understand the impacts and work together with their problems, our problems, because it's really the company's challenges at the end of the day. Um, I think that's just critical to the overall success, and I think it's table stakes more than anything for uh, any CISO or security leader to be able to make their program successful. Yeah, I mean, you bring up such a great point. It's 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 interesting because over the last eighteen months, our kind of private discussions that we used to do, you know, at a at an event, we'd all scroll to one little corner, you know, would hold our bourbons, uh, you know, or scotch or whiskey, whatever your beverage of choice is, as long as it's scotch bourbon or whiskey. If you're drinking anything else, go f yourself, right? But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and you're having those uh, backroom discussions around some of the stuff we're seeing, some of the challenges you're trying to overcome. The last 18 months have really made those challenging because we can't really do that on Zoom because we're all security people. We're all like questioning, like, what am I going to say on Zoom that's going to bite me in the tail? Right? And, um, and, and I think that's really important for a lot of people to understand is now that we're kind of going back to, to, you know, meeting, right. One of the things we learned over the last 18 months is to kind of build those small groups, but now we really need to expand it. we really need to go beyond it and we really need to increase the information sharing. And a lot of times I hear CISOs talk about, well, you know, if CISA or the FBI, and I'm like, we need to stop like those people are great assets and they're great tools and they're great people to know. And you should know them and be friends with them. And you don't just want to know them on the dark day. You want to know them on all your sunny days as well, because they're invaluable resources. But at the same time, we as a group need to be better at our information sharing. We need to be more coordinated in our efforts when we're building and addressing different security challenges, because what I go through in my cloud security you're probably going through the same thing and I can probably short my lessons can probably shorten your, you know, the lessons I learned will shorten your lessons, will shorten your path to achieving what you're trying to achieve. For sure. Yeah. I think the collaboration is key and um, <laughs> we all have the same enemy at the end of the day. Right. Uh, or at least we're protecting against this, the same type of actor. So I think it's critical as well. It, it, it is. It, kind <clears throat> of, it, it takes us into a completely different, different, you know, place. And, and that's one of the challenges that security practitioners have, right? If we look at it, you know, in your opinion, what challenges have we overcome? What are some of the things that, you know, I remember you and I getting together at RSA, I think was it three, four years ago, we're sitting on the state of Georgia, had a boat, the Georgia Department of Economic Development, I think had a boat or the Atlanta Metro Chamber, I forgot who had the boat, someone had a boat, we were sitting on the boat. And we were having a conversation about some of the challenges, right? What's what, you know, what are the challenges? What challenges have we overcome, let's say, since that conversation on the boat? Uh, yeah, there's probably two that, that kind of are, are the um, um, 
call it pitfalls that, that we've run into that I've, I've seen a lot of uh, folks in the industry get better at. I think the first one is not just saying no. Um, the, the idea of being the old stiff security as compliance approach is, is getting a lot better. Um, I still think there are some opportunity to grow there and, and, uh, uh kind of, kind of continue to evolve. Um, the, the, the way I always tell, um, uh, my teams and others around me, like companies are not in the business of security. So like even those that sell security products I've learned in talking with them are not in the business of security as far as being perfect at security, right? They got to balance just like everybody else, the risks, uh, concerns with the business, uh, to, to be able to be successful. So, um, while I think we should target keeping the company safe, that's our primary goal. Of course, we're not the ultimate clearinghouse, right? For non-standard approvals for everything. We're not the ones that say, say yes and no, or we shouldn't be really our job going back to what we said before is really being those advisors, making it visible, more importantly, the right level of the organization. So we can, um, we can make those decisions. So, yeah, I think people are getting better at, at just, you know, the individual security people being the yes, no folks, but uh, still room to grow. I, I think the other one, and I think this is really critical right now uh, with everything going on in the news. Um, I, I think there's uh, still many practitioners uh, today that are communicating kind of too much FUD, right? Too much fear, uncertainty, and doubt, uh, especially with what's going on in the news. You know, historically, we've had the whole crying wolf risk uh in our in our space um but what we really need to be doing as part of everything that's going on and and utilizing that uh is to think in terms of business right not theoretical so when i say not theoretical not hey there's this vulnerability but pixie dust and the moon aligning in retrograde must occur for the vulnerability to actually get exploited right like actually talk about it in terms of the business what's the likelihood of what you know you see in the news so if we're talking about solar winds you know how how could we react to that or how did we react to that? Um, or you see a breach in the news and you're talking with your execs and your board. Here's how we would have reacted to that. Here's whether that would have impacted us. But putting it in their terms and communicating that realistic likelihood and impacts, I think, is, is really important. Um, you can also use this. Everything going on is a lot of education um, because the cool thing is with it being in the news is everybody's getting visibility to it. So everybody at least is... Um, kind of on a similar page and your, your board and stuff is, is seeing it as well. Um, and, it, and it provides you an opportunity to have a conversation. Um, but you, as stewards of that, we need to have a balance, right? Um, we want to abuse that excitement and ask for $8 billion of a, of a security budget and things we don't need and, and turn into doom and gloom. Um, we really want to use it as an opportunity to partner with those other business leaders uh, and, and executives uh, to understand their concerns, understand the biggest company risks, and then, you know, spring that into uh, proposals uh, to address those concerns, mitigate those. And that's a great opportunity to bring up, you know, resources uh, that are challenging, roadblocks that are in your way, prioritization challenges that you may have, all that stuff that, that we fight with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's, that, that's those are two very well thought of um, kind of things that we're overcoming from a challenge perspective. I think that's, that's really... Uh, I don't want to say just spot on, but it's, but it's really great to see those, those really change. Um, let me ask you the, let me ask you another one. What are some of the challenges we still need to master? What are some of the things that we're still almost grinding water on that really it's about time we get over? Uh, I mean, it's all those, all those, those pitfalls, right? Um, the, the one, the one big one that, um, you know, I, I always talk about is, solve problems, don't buy tools, 
right? So, um, and I think it's just the nature of the industry we're in, right? Is there's a lot of potential to, to spend and a lot of potential for people to sell things. So the, the one thing that I think we need to, to kind of think about first is when you're approaching a project or a problem, um, you know, start with what problems are we trying to solve? Um, you know, what does success look like on the other side of this project? Rather than saying, what are we going to get? What are we going to buy? How are we going to deploy it? Those type of things. Um, and you know, if you approach that, you may you may end up with a similar solution. But then again, you may find that the the things that by the gut you want to buy or, or use uh, don't exactly solve the problems that you truly are trying to solve. So at the end of the day, we're not we're not doing the the, the classic thing in security of uh, all the tools that are trying to solve a problem that may not exist. Um, we're just solving problems uh, in our own companies. So. You know, that's a um, look at it from a community perspective for just a moment, will you? Let's kind of talk about this in general. Some of our some of our problems, I think. And, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. Right. And, and, and maybe you'll see eye to eye with me or maybe you don't. And that's OK. Either way, <laughs> it's OK, because I think people agreeing all the time is also very boring. Right. I think one of our biggest challenges in security until today is our cyber vocabulary. Not one term means one thing. Not one vulnerability has one name. Not one threat actor has one name. Um, you know, I saw this over the last, you know, seven, eight months, right? If we go back to solar winds and then and, and fast forward, someone from the board will call me. I'm reading something in the Wall Street Journal about so-and-so. And I'm like, what? And they, they go, so-and-so. And I'm like, well, what's, hang on. And I Google it and I'm like, oh, you mean Solarigate? He goes, well, in Wall Street Journal, they're calling it so-and-so. And I'm like, okay, wonderful. You know, and then you look up the Wall Street Journal article and you go, who's the douche that came up with 700 names for something? Mm -hmm. like, I think that's one of our biggest challenges that we really, like, I've suggested this and I've got a solution to this problem. MITRE, which has the CVE database and has you know, all the threat actor database, this should also have a vocabulary database. The first one to discover the vulnerability and report it gets to give it a name or they get together, they get you and I and a bunch of other really smart people in a room. We do this like they do hurricanes. We come up with a hundred names for vulnerabilities. Those are the next hundred names. You come in, you get them, you get the name. And if we know it's a C, then we know, you know, there's A's and B's before the C. Kind of like how you know where you are in hurricane season. You know, if we're at, you know, zebra, oh, hurricane zebra, we're probably at the end of the season, right? More or less. <laughs> or it's a very active one. Like, I really think we need to solve this. I think this is hindering so much of the work we do with the business because security becomes, as more and more writers write about security, they tend to reference different sources. And because every source has a different name for something, there's a language barrier. And then we as security professionals, either I don't look informed as a CISO, right? And now I've got a, well, we call it this. Well, why do you call it this? Because that doesn't exist, I think, in any other part of the business, but security. Yeah. Well, I don't agree or don't disagree with you, James. Um, then you're taking away all these great security researchers, uh, glory to be able to name something after a dog or a friend or something else. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a challenge because um, another side of that that you see is like, they'll, they'll attach the company 
to the problem or one of the comp- one of the companies that was impacted and then it becomes known as the XXX breach but maybe right. they were you know the, the reality is the problem has nothing to or it's not primarily dealing with that company so i think the yeah the the title thing is an issue i think you know still the kind of company shaming thing can be an issue um, and just the way things are reported i think what we mentioned before everything being in the news it's created a positive thing for us because the conversations that we've always strived to have are happening right but then you know with with great visibility comes great education um you know when when you get a CEO that's going to come and, and ask you, should I be concerned about TLS 1.1 and whether we have it enabled? And then you have to describe to them, you know, what is that? Why should they care? But in very in terms that, that they can understand and in business terms that, that we can have, um, it, it creates quite a challenge. And, and I totally get where you're coming from there. I, I'm very frustrated by it, right? Because to me, it's a uh, it's one of those things where I almost wish right? That we could, and there's an easy solution for it. Because when you want to report a CVE as, as any organization, you go there, you select it, you get a number. It doesn't matter, right? And I get that names are very special and I love security researchers and I appreciate some of the names they come up with, but then jump on a committee and give those names in there, right? Like get those names to be named because what's happening is there's a disconnect and that disconnect is impacting the professionality of the individuals who need to be trusted. Like we finally have the board's trust. We're finally getting executive leadership to listen to us a little bit more and take us seriously. They're finally interested in security, meaning they're when they see a security article on the times website, they're not clicking. They're not going by it. They're reading it. They're forwarding it to us. They want to get our opinion. They want to get us to brief them. They want to understand what the risks are to the organization, or they want to understand uh, could this impact someone and somehow impact us indirectly? Um, those are all very positive conversations that we're having, conversations that we didn't have three, four years ago. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know? it, it's a, a, a good, bad, right? The, but you know what? Bring it on. I, I would much rather be having the conversations and having to do the education than not. So. Well, you want to have the right education in place. You know, I'm not the one to think that for a second we can change the media from writing a horrible headline about something, right? Uh, my, my favorite one today was the NSO offices. The NSO group offices were raided by Israeli government. I'm like, no, they weren't. I spoke to NSO. They weren't raided at all. The Ministry <laughs> of Defense came for a visit. There was no warrant, no arrests, no computers were taking, no equipment was. What's a raid? A raid is when I show up full SWAT team breaking down your doors, sticking people in cuffs. Is that not what a raid makes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm venting. So that <laughs> but you digress. Oh, what? But you digress. <laughs> I, I, well, I tend to digress sometimes on the show. I'm trying to get the show shorter. So we're at the end of the show here. It's time for a CISO insight round folks, where we get to know a little bit more about David Nolan as a human being and not just a CISO. So my Buzzword graveyard. Give me a buzzword you want to get rid of forever, David. Uh, artificial intelligence. <laughs> for sure. I, I just think it's turned into an inappropriate marketing term. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it's applied to every security offering, regardless of what it is. And it's, you know, some people are just doing complex logic. Maybe they're doing machine learning or deep learning, but 
using AI as a synonym for anything that's fancy, right? And it's just frustrating. Well, break him down, David. You know, I mean, g- folks, go back and listen to his complex spam filter. Break it. When someone tells me AI, I break it down. I go, well, tell me, how was the AI program? What AI language are you guys using? And when they can't answer those questions, I go, so you're using machine learning. You're just hoping to tell me it's AI. Yeah, for sure. Next. All right. One technology that I think will forever change security. Um, Let's talk about the one that I'm excited about right now. Um, And that's really like the control validation uh, stuff that we talked about. Really excited about like the automated attack and validation technologies. I mean, we've all done these things manually with red team, blue teaming and all that. But like being able to just use, you know, MITRE attack framework and, and being able to, to, to do that on a continuous basis to, to really test yourself. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. It's awesome. What's, uh, what's the book you're reading right now or the last book you read if you're not reading anything? Um, I, so I alternate fun and growth, fun and growth kind of thing. So uh, personal growth, um, just finished uh, The Stonewall Reader. Um, so it's uh, a book covering all the stories and struggles of the um, LGBTQ community um, back in the 60s and kind of around the Stonewall Uprising. Re- really eye-opening for me and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, the last fun one, just finished uh, about a week ago, is uh, Project Hail Mary uh, by Andy Weir. Um, so that's a great space sci-fi fiction with real science, I'll, I'll add. Um, <laughs> it's the uh, same author as The Martian. So if you like The Martian, um, it's just a fantastic nerd book uh, that has problem problem solving, sarcasm, space fiction, all that fun. So we highly recommend it. Love it, love it, love it. What's the last movie you saw <laughs> in theaters <laughs> uh, or on theaters. Netflix? What'd you what'd you what'd you Netflix last? Oh man, in theaters was probably Monsters Inc. Um, and uh, Netflix been been working on Cars a lot, and I like to watch documentaries during uh, while I'm doing that. So. A lot of like World War II uh, things and, and whatnot, but yeah. I am a very much documentary person. You should watch Heist. I have not seen that yet. I saw it. It's in so, my queue. So Heist is very interesting. So it's modernized documentary. So it's taking real stories of real Heist, and they're kind of modernizing it with some real footage and some actor footage. Um, but it's uh, if, if you're a security person, it does give you a little bit of uh of a fuzzy warm feeling okay great so, um and it also kind of shows you um uh, um uh, gets you to think about security in a completely different point of view it's very interesting because it's successful heists so it's all about successful heists so think of a data breach and you can watch a heist and to me i can translate different things I won't ruin it for you but you should watch it really? favorite music david what do you enjoy listening to Oh, I'm super eclectic, so I listen to everything and always trying to list to anything unique. But I think if you look at my playlist, most of it's EDM, so dance music. Been listening listening to that since early 2000s, and uh, really helps drive me and get me working. So I, I enjoy EDM when I'm doing testing. Like if I'm studying for a cert, I gotta have some EDM because I can't have anything with a lot of lyrics, right? Because then you start singing it, you're not really comprehending. But EDM is exactly. is, is is, is check out Israeli EDM. I got to send you a few playlists. Sure. It's really I'm good stuff, in. man. Uh, really good stuff. Um, awesome. And what's one thing you took away from SolarWinds? Um, I think it's just security has way more tendrils than what we thought, you know, uh, and just the, the, the deep advanced piece of that attack. And the fact that, 
you know, people like Microsoft didn't detect it. It took, you know, one of the leading IR firms to even find it in their environment um, really opens, opened my eyes to, to just how complex these things can be. Um, and, uh, you, you know, though it's late, led to a lot of great cross industry collaboration. The government's been reaching out to a lot of us to, to, to do things, uh, for instance, with Biden's EO and some of the other uh, legislation. Um, it's, it's actually, again, opened that conversation up much broader uh, that we talked about. Just made me excited to see uh, where we're going to go in the next few years. Yeah, I will tell you that all the um, one thing I'm very happy with this new administration on is how seriously they've taken cyber. And Newberger is an unbelievable asset to our community to see her in a having an office in the White House with access to the president is something no other president had before. Right. And it's something that just shows it this morning on the practitioner brief I actually advocated that we need a minister of cyber, uh, a minister that actually his office orchestrates all of the activities of cybersecurity between cyber command, NSA, DOD, DHS, CISA, FBI, Secret Service, uh, public private, FSISAC, you know, the MSISAC, all these different ISACs so that you've got one office and that office, that person reports directly to the president. Um, and not a cyber czar because you give the minister a cyber also budgetary. That office allocates budgets and has a team that might be the future of what our nation needs. For sure. So uh, I love that. Folks, David Nolan is a legend. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I, I would. Um, every, every time I speak to you, I come out smarter, uh, more sharp, and more grounded than I do coming into the conversation. And I think that's, um, that's, um, that, that speaks volumes about you as a human being. Um, I appreciate and I'm that. grateful that when I was new into this industry, when I was just uh, new in Atlanta, you were one of the first people to hug me and, and kind of welcome me in. And, and I'll always be forever grateful uh, for that. And, and I never forget a good deed when one's done. And so I try <laughs> to repay him as many times as I humanly can Kind of like that episode of Office when, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Dwight brings everyone bagels. And then Andy's always got to one-up him. He's like, well, here you go, sir. And he's like, no, 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 here you go, sir. Right? I'm like one of those. So uh, constant like that. And I appreciate it. Folks, David Nolan, you can connect with David on LinkedIn. Please don't spam him. Um, please don't. Um, he's got filters everywhere. And if you need to understand how to overcome his filters from four years ago, go check it out. About three years ago, one of our first episodes was with David. Talks about his email spam filters, which are just brilliant. Um, <laughs> I've actually employed that entire technique uh, all the way down to the seventh layer. So um, you guys will definitely enjoy that. Until uh, next week, we'll have another great episode here of CISA Talk. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. David, thank you for taking time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Folks, have a great rest of your day wherever you're watching whatever part of the world. Stay healthy, stay safe, uh, be responsible, and most importantly, stay cyber safe. Cheers. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.